0: The Critical Care PRN is dedicated to fostering the role of critical care pharmacists as essential members of the multidisciplinary patient care team. The Critical Care PRN's goal is to optimize drug therapy outcomes by promoting excellence and innovation in clinical pharmacy practice, research, and education. For more information, including how to become a member, go to critprn.accp.com. Again, that website is critprn.accp.com. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based care in clinical practice. So check out READ for easy access to research personalized for you. Calculate for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools and learn to earn CME online in minutes per day. Try them today at qxmd.com slash apps. Again, that is qxmd.com slash Welcome to Pharmacy to Dose, the critical care podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network and a partner of the ACCP Critical Care PRN. And I'm your host, Nick Peters. Wherever you are and however you are listening, thank you. Now this is a rapid reaction episode. So an important trial was published and you want to know about it, but maybe haven't had time to dive in just yet. Let's start right here. And Today, we're talking about the efficacy and safety of early administration of four-factor prothrombin complex concentrate, or PCC as we'll refer to it exclusively throughout the episode, in patients with trauma at risk of massive transfusion, the PROAG Randomized Clinical Trial. Now, published ahead of print in JAMA, so unfortunately, um, again, not open access, but I think most are able to access J- JAMA content, so hopefully that's not a barrier uh, for most. Um, our special guest is Scott Dietrich, and he is the PCC D. always thankful when he can join, and today is no exception, uh, so print those papers, double-click those PDFs, and let's dive right in. And we are joined today uh, by none other than Scott Dietrich. Uh, Scott is an emergency medicine clinical pharmacist with the University of Colorado Health based in Fort Collins, Colorado. And you can find him on Twitter with the appropriate handle at PCC underscore PharmD. Scott, thanks so much for coming back. How are things going? I hear there was some snow that got dumped in Colorado recently. So are you in are you in little uh, early spring heaven?
1: Well, I mean, it's melted off mostly by now, but, you know, last week we got like six or seven inches overnight and then, you know, a day or two ago, we got three or four, but it'll be in the seventies by the weekend. And I think everyone's happy about that.
0: Yes. Spring is here. I love that. Um, well, we couldn't, you know, I always love whenever there's a PCC study, Scott knows I always reach out to him. He's, he's my, my the local PCC expert. And who else could we have for the rapid reaction podcast looking at the newly released procoag study. So, Scott, I'm going to give the listeners like a little bit of like the methodology, kind of a little bit of the background, and then we'll kind of dive right in, talk about some of these outcomes and, and really hit on some of some of the things that stood out to us and some of our kind of key takeaways when we're looking at this study as a whole. Sounds great. So, the procoag study, the efficacy and safety of early administration of four factor prothrombin complex concentrate in patients with trauma at risk of massive transfusion. So uh, published in JAMA, all the things we like in a trial, prospective, randomized, multi-center, double-blind, parallel group, superiority clinical trial, um, done in 12 French academic level one trauma centers, big day for France as uh, our last rapid reaction pod also featured a French study. I mean, this recruited patients from December 2017 through August 2021. Now, which patients were included? So these were adult trauma patients directly from the injury scene at risk of massive transfusion. So what did at risk of transfusion of massive transfusion mean in this trial? So they were receiving one unit of packed red cells be either transfused prior to getting to the hospital or within the first hour of uh, getting to the hospital and a assessment of blood consumption score an ABC score greater than or equal to two. Now what this score was is, a score of greater than or equal to two is 75% sensitive and 85% specific for predicting massive transfusion. This was validated in a 600 patient retrospective analysis. So you, you had those two things in combination or the physician's clinical judgment that the patient was at risk of massive transfusion. Um, and massive transfusion in this trial was defined as getting 10 packed red cells in the first 24 hours or at least three cells in the first hour. Right, so we're getting some of the some of the sickest patients here. The exclusion criteria: they traumatic arrest, uh, patients transferred from another center, anticoagulant use at baseline. I think that's a key one to to point out there, um, and patients expected to die within the first hour post admission. Right, where we think the care may be futile. So the interventions. Um, the, it was placebo, right? so it was a normal saline in the placebo group, or a four-factor PCC at about 25 units per kilo, um, and it was hooked up to a syringe pump, given that 120 mLs per hour. Primary outcome, they looked at the total number of blood products transfused within the first 24 hours after hospital admission, and that, that total number of blood products it was the combination of packed red cells, fresh frozen plasma, and platelets. Um, and secondary outcomes, right? All the, a lot of the things that we'd think of, right? They looked at the separate blood product usage, uh, time to your PT or prothrombin time less than one point five, time to hemostasis, whether that was in IR embolizing or in the OR surgically, twenty-eight uh, day VTE rate, twenty-eight day ventilator free, hospital free, and ICU free days, as well as looking at mortality and then cost. So when they look at their power calculation, how many patients did they need? They had three hundred and twenty-four patients included. By the skin of their teeth, they met that pre-specified power calculation of 162 patients per group needed for 80% power. So, Scott, that's kind of the background in setting up for the study. Now, what did they ultimately find in this pretty well-designed French trial?
1: Yeah, so for just the primary outcome, they found no difference statistically or clinically In the 24 hour total blood product administration between the groups, the median was 12 units in the PCC group and 11 in the placebo group. Um, They didn't find any difference in receipt of individual components between either one of those. Um, And they did note that they looked at time spent in the study during the first 24 hours to try to mitigate risks of Mm -hmm. survivor bias um, in terms of receipt of blood products. And since it was similar between the groups, there's no risk of that survivor bias there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's important that you say statistically or clinically, right? Because, um, I mean, the numbers are basic. It's not like we saw 12 and a half versus, you know, 9.8 and it just didn't meet significance, right? This is basically the same. And so with the big primary outcome now, we talked about some of the secondary outcomes. How are they going to look at those individual products, right? And maybe one of them was driving it. So did they find anything that we could, we could hang our hat on from like a, a secondary or subgroup analysis with some of this stuff.
1: So, one of them that, you know, it wasn't totally statistically significant, but when you look at the figures, um, they had something called a PT ratio, which is kind of like a shock index where it's your normal PT divided by the patient's PT. So, any greater than 1.2, you're considered coagulopathic, greater than 1.5 is severe severe coagulopathy. Um, And then, so they were measuring those every hour for the first six hours. So, in the PCC group, there was a pretty notable reduction in the pt ratio compared to the placebo group Um, it was significant at hours two three and six and then at one four five and hours 12 it wasn't there was an overlap but there's a clear trend in this decreasing pt ratio among patients who did get pcc Um, and then you know they try to break that out among the patients who got mtp which is only a quarter of the patients Um, There was, again, more of that downward trend in the PC ratio with the PCC group, but that one was less significant and only at six hours was there an actual difference between the two groups. But, um, you know, that's probably one of the results that most people will look at and Takeaway from this study is that you know it looks like to be improving the coagulopathy once you give these patients PCC.
0: And this is this is Figure Two that you're talking about the prothrombin time ratio and and yeah this is this is going to be the screenshot that you see from this trial because it is a a stark difference that, that kind of settles out around hour twelve. But this is if you were the PCC fan or a component of this right this is what you're going to probably try to focus in on um, is the improvement in the ratio. Now, I think that they thought that that improvement would lead to possibly thrombin generation or things like that. And it ultimately just didn't, the, the trial didn't show that. Um, but it's a, a really important point, And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good looking figure. We can't lie. Can't lie to the listener, Scott. It's a good looking, it's a good looking chart, a uh, little uh, figure there.
1: Yeah, if that was their primary outcome, everyone would be fawning <laughs> over this study. But you know that figure looks good, but it actually didn't change anything downstream. It so it's kind of one of those things where the numbers look good, but it doesn't really affect any outcomes that they looked at.
0: And they, um, you know, you mentioned that the in the supplementary. Um, appendix not only did they 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 tried to separate a lot of these out and try to see if any of the things right they separated how many patients got this within the first hour um, they looked at the patients who got massive transfusion they tried to do some of these subgroup analyses and you know we'll talk about um, why some of the subgroups may not have been as repressive as they thought, but you know in all of those they looked and there was really no difference um, And I think part of that is because this trial was really well done. Like we'll hit on the fact that, you know, in terms of the um, following and getting things done within a timely fashion and things kind of per protocol, it was a very high rate. And so I think that's part of why maybe we're we're not seeing some of those differences in secondary or subgroup kind of outcomes. Yeah, I agree. Um, so when we kind of, you know, they mentioned there was, you know, really no difference of uh, mortality, but did anything stand out about the mortality rates to you, despite there being no differences in this trial?
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they. when you looked at the mortality in this study, it was really pretty low. Yeah. At, I think it was 11%. Um, The two main observational studies that they kind of used to support, you know, doing this study were, you know, trauma people that gave PCC and FFG2. The mortality in those were 25% and around 18%. Um, So those were much higher. But the interesting thing that the authors noted is the patients in the pro-COAG study were a lot sicker, higher injury severity scores, more frequent hemorrhage control interventions, higher lactates, lower hemoglobins, and then a higher percentage of patients with a baseline PT ratio greater than 1.2. So, you know, you would think that these sicker patients in this procoag study would have, you know, a higher rate of mortality. Um, they use a little bit less blood product in this study compared to the observational ones. Uh, but it's kind of weird to have, you have all these sicker patients in this study actually um, using less blood and having better survival outcomes. But, you know, 11% mortality rate in these really, really sick people, pretty darn good.
0: That's absolutely right. And then the thing is, too, when they give the baseline data, they include pre-hospital vitals as well as admission vitals. And you see heart rates went up, the the blood pressure went down, right? So these people were getting sicker from the scene to when they got there, right? So that was, you know, they didn't find a difference, but that was the thing that stood out to me is like, man, this is, that's a really low number for on the surface based on numbers and things that we're seeing of how sick they they looked, Um now, there are some other, we didn't necessarily find um, differences in those outcomes, but when you kind of took a peek through some of this study, what were some of the things that stood out to you as either notable or interesting, and maybe they, they influenced it, not like a confounder, right, but, but this is a reason maybe why we, we didn't find something because they, they, they got really good care, they got this within this time, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the, their time to intervention of the PCC with our goal was one hour from ED arrival, and they met that in 95% of their yeah. patients. So that's incredibly fast for like a randomized controlled trial. You know, if you were just, you know, in the trauma bay and the they roll in, they look awful, you start getting blood, trauma, ask for PCC, you'd probably get it down there in maybe an hour. So, you know, then being able to go through the randomization process, uh, everything that they did, getting the PCC. To the patient that fast is pretty amazing, yes,
0: yeah, because you're describing like, like it's it's it would be great to get that within like to have that within the hour if you weren't enrolling someone in a randomized double blind placebo controlled trial, like you're doing all that and then doing it. That's impressive,
1: yeah. I mean, that's a well oiled machine they had going there
0: for anyone that was curious. It was, um, a bedside RN who prepared the. Um, the PCC and was the only unblinded member in the entire process. Obviously they're making it. So they had to, but um, I thought that was, I thought that was interesting um, and how they, how they made it. Um, now we talked about the pre-hospital care and something that stood out to me and um, is how long it took for them to arrive from the scene, um, you know, over 90 minutes. And so is that something that is, is that, I don't know, I don't know if you would know, but is that something more common in Europe where there's just going to be probably more like um, rural areas where you're driving, you know, large points to get to these big uh, trauma centers?
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. You know, you know, these are big academic medical centers, kind of places where they're doing these trials. I wouldn't think that, you know, a lot of their trauma would be coming from more rural areas. So you know, half of the people were intubated in the field. So I don't know if it's more of a uh, stay and a play kind of scenario, and they get yeah. lines and tubes and everything in place before they put them in the bus and drive them there, versus maybe trying to do a little bit in route. But you know, a lot of the previous trauma studies that we you know see in the U.S. usually it's like thirty minutes, twenty to thirty minutes is you know time from injury to ED arrival. So that that hundred minutes is definitely longer, but. You know, 11% mortality of these people, yep. I guess they can keep on doing that, whatever they want to do if they're having that kind of outcome.
0: That, that's a really important point that uh, 48% of patients in both groups are intubated. Um, and then, right, adding on to things that would that would possibly delay time, and we'll get to this, right, but um, 76% in the PCC and 86% in the placebo group got TXA. So obviously those are other things they're setting up and stuff. Yeah, so.
1: that is a lot of people getting TXA. Yeah, let. I don't. Let's, I don't know what you guys do up there, but I mean, we don't do that much TSA TXA here in Northern Colorado, so no. You know, seeing like ninety percent of people getting it in the pre-hospital setting is shocking.
0: It's uh, no. I would say that um, the that would be the at this point of where we are now. I would say that's more the exception, not the rule of of TXA infusing as patients roll in. I'd say it's more common if someone's transferring from another hospital. And they did it there, but from the field, I would say T X A being given prior is is pretty low. So that was my thought too. Um, now the thing, you know, one of the things that stood out when I was looking into this was specifically the difference in um, kind of the belief of of T X A between um, the the countries, basically, and and the the, the American or the the um, the Eastern kind of the East guidelines that the, the U S follows, it doesn't have as big of a recommendation um, for giving the anti But when you look at the European guidelines, it says uh, we recommend that it be given, be administered to the trauma patient who is bleeding or at risk of significant hemorrhage as soon as possible. Grade one, a recommendation. Um, so I think that probably explains why, over three quarters of the patients in both groups got that. And then what's the influence of that on on this when they're giving this this agent that we know is going to have effects on our coagulation, kind of a standard that they're doing? And I don't know if you could argue that's as much of a standard here.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, they're giving everyone a bolus and a drip. 90% of the people are getting it pre-hospital. These are very, very sick people. I don't know if that, one of the reasons that the mortality was so low, but, you know, that pre-hospital STAMP trial with TXA kind of came out showing that, you know, they did a post hoc where you gave it within an hour of injury, you know, the mortality got better. So, I don't know, maybe they're onto something out there and, you know, trying to get it pre-hospital, you know, from my understanding of the literature and the things that I've seen is, you know, mostly people who are in hyperfibrinolysis. It starts early and it goes away once you start Mm -hmm. resuscitating people. So, you know, pre-hospital TSA is probably the best time to give it. We're not going to have tags on people in the field. So it's kind of like, you know, these risk factors and, you know, variables of whether someone would be eligible or not. Obviously the people in this study being very sick and hypotensive and high injury severity scores and, you know, they would all meet all that kind of criteria. So seems like a good, you know, population to give it in. And maybe that has something to do with their lower mortality. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase.
0: That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the, the TXA was was one thing that stood out. You know, they the, the study uh, mentions that all patients received care according to the, the European post-traumatic hemorrhage guidelines. And so um, kind of the big the big three things um, identify the bleeding source asap. We can we can agree on that, right? Uh, we've talked about the TXA. The other one is the um, ratio of transfusion products, right? And in the US, it's one to one to one. A try to be balanced between the three. Whereas the European guidelines, they recommend an FFP to PRBC ratio, keeping it between one to one and one to two, and only giving platelets to keep those above fifty k. So. Um, I didn't know those kind of differences going into this trial, but how much do you think, like, do you think the, like they tracked the product? So I don't know. Does the, do you think the ratio played a part at all in any of the findings since they literally looked at all the products they got regardless?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at like the PCC group, they got like six packed red cells and four of that So they're kind of near that one to one, a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, we, when that proper trial came out a few years ago, the U.S. like leaned real hard into that one-to-one-to-one ratio Mm -hmm. goal. And, um, you know, we're using whole blood at our level one. So that kind of changes how, you know, the ratios are set up. But, you know, there's actually, I think last week or the week before, First 10 EM had a big blog post about that one-to-one-to-one versus one-to-one-to-two ratios and kind of saying that, you know, that proper study wasn't that slam dunk that people are making it out to be. And, you know, maybe the ratio of one to one to one to two somewhere in that range is probably fine. And Mm -hmm. maybe not focusing so much on the ratio, but getting product to people who need it. And um, I don't know, it's very interesting because the numbers that they're showing in the study are different than what we're doing. And their mortality numbers are so, so good that maybe, maybe we don't need to do that one to one to one ratio and one to one to two is somewhere in that range is, good enough
0: Uh uh-huh yeah well and the you you talked about the impressive um time to pcc um the other thing that stood out was um how long it took for ffp to arrive and being given um in both groups right because um you don't know when it's placebo controlled, you don't know what you're giving. So still 73 and 91 minutes um, for FFP. I think that is kind of a real life, you know, the authors noted they didn't expect that, but I feel like in a, that may be a more real life scenario where how many times we've been waiting. You're like, gosh, where's the FFP? Where's the FFP? I call blood bank. Right. And yeah. um, this kind of may be more real life than we think out of 73 minutes and 91 seems really, long. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you're not calling that MTV, MTP early enough, you know, it's got to get down to blood bank. They got to make the coolers and get down to you. So, that, you know, that, that could be real, but you know, these people getting K-Centra before they're getting FFP is kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, I agree. Now um, the other thing, right, we've talked about um, kind of that like golden hour. We're trying to give it within the hour. Is there like. Everything I think of trauma, you want to do everything in the first hour, right? So like, do we actually, is there evidence? I think, like, do we, we want to try to give it as soon as possible, but do we have evidence as like, we need to give PCC within like X time um, to, to really make sure we help improve outcomes?
1: I, I, am not aware of it. I couldn't find any studies looking specifically at PCC, time to administrations and trauma. Mm -hmm. No, previously on that. Last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about anti reversal with intracranial hemorrhages. And there were two small little studies that tried to look at time to administration and couldn't correlate that with any outcome. So, I mean, if you can give someone who's bleeding and, you know, has a massive hemorrhage, something to correct that. I think that's always going to be the standard of care to give it as soon as possible. But we don't have anything right now to point to saying the earlier you get it, the better. It's just kind of a... Mm -hmm we would hope that would be the case. And that's
0: the goal. Um, I want to clarify for the listeners. So if you look in, um, like the, the paper and things, like a lot of, a lot of places you'll see that the case, the, the PCC, um, dose being one mil per kilo. So I was like, where did this one mil per kilo go? And I spent an embarrassingly amount of time trying to figure this out. um, now, I'm asking this question. I ended up figuring out the answer uh, for the record, but I'm asking this question because of how long it took. Like when, because most of the literature that I've seen, Scott, with PCC in trauma is around like that 25 units per kilo. So how does one mil per kilo equal 25 units per kilo?
1: So it's pretty simple. Each, I mean, with case intro, which is they're using, it's 500 units in a vial. You dilute it with 20 ml, that comes out to you. 25
0: units per ml. Yeah, it's just that simple, isn't it? All well, right. We are absolutely going to move on from there. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the other thing, right, we were, we were looking at efficacy a lot and, and like coagulopathy control, right, and hemorrhage control. Um, the other thing, right, when we're looking at safety findings, um, the thromboembolic rate uh, was pretty high. We've talked about you know how much did maybe everyone getting two grams of TXA plus PCC did that have an influence or things but you know the the groups the PCC group was 34 percent had at least one thromboembolic event and the placebo group was 25 percent. So how does this compare to other studies because when I looked at this that was a big standout to me that that seemed like a pretty high rate. Yeah, so
1: those two observational ones that they keep you know referencing, um, one of them had a rate of 2.5% and the other one was at 7%. So this is, you know, and five to 10 times as much, which is much, much higher. Um, but those previous studies, they kind of weren't really clear about how far out from the injury they were looking, you know, for events. One of them mentioned it was just during the hospitalization and they only, only looked for DVTs and PEs where in this pro coaxize, did a lot better job. They were looking for yeah. DVTs, PE, stroke superficial thromboses, and they have another other category. So, you know, maybe they just found a lot more because they were actually looking for more. But, you know, this is a, this is a high, high rate, um, 35%. Um, you know, we talked about survivor bias earlier. There's another thing called survivor's curse, where, you know, if you survive the initial resuscitation, then you're more likely to get, you know, organ failure and downstream um, oh, complications. Yeah. But, because the mortality was the same between both groups, It's not really a survivor's curse scenario. Um, so maybe it is the study drug, you know, this giving case center to people does increase the rate, but, um, you know, there's a lot of confounding things with, you know, OR requirements. These people very severely injured. There's probably immobility issues with ICU length of stays and things like that, but, you know, a lot higher rate than we're kind of normally used to seeing in these kind of studies.
0: Um, so, uh, I want to point out one thing. So when we were talking about, cause I was looking at this and I want to point out two things that the author said, and then I want to ask you a question about one of them. So, um, the authors kind of chose this inclusion criteria and they worked to select patients with severe acute bleeding early Um, so that PCC could be given early, right? So they were trying to see what PCC looked like in combination at standard care in a more real life context. I think they did a really good job of that. We've mentioned that, that time to drug. Now the, the other note is that, um, the author is talking about the, why they chose the primary outcome. And, um, if you remember, right, they used a composite of blood products and they looked at they the primary outcome was a reduction in that. So. I guess my question for you is, Scott. So they, they, the author said that they used this because a they the a study looking at vasopressin and trauma used the same endpoint, um, and that was kind of their justification. Now that study is a study that showed positive outcomes with, but we don't use vasopressin routinely in hemorrhagic shock. So I'm just wondering, is is part of that did they use a kind of surrogate outcome of blood product use in trauma, or is this actually a more acceptable outcome from what's been published then, than I may think right now?
1: I mean, it's kind of an either or. I'm like, yes, mortality in this kind of, you know, disease state is the best one to look at. Um, but, you know, you're going to need a huge number of people, like something like the crash too, to see a difference unless the intervention is like a huge difference, which we're not assuming PCC is going to be like this magic cure-all and it's going to decrease the mortality by like 10 to 20%. So, you know, if you're designing a study and you're only going to get three to 400 people in it, you know, if mortality is going to be your number one, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to find any difference. So, you know, you got to use the next, next thing. We're giving people something to hopefully stop them from bleeding maybe blood product administration over the period would be, you know, what you're hoping to reduce, you know, blood products aren't without complications they're costly, you know, they have adverse events associated with it. You know, a couple of times a year, there's always like a shortage of blood products in the U S. So, you know, maybe you found something that where trauma people where you're using half a amount of blood, that would be a great thing overall. So, you know, I can understand that as an end point to use this, in this kind of study, but, um, you know, they didn't find any difference anyway, so it doesn't really matter which one they picked. They couldn't find any differences in anything. Yeah,
0: and that's, and, and uh, I think that's a really good thing to point out is, you know, it, not necessarily thinking that, um, you know, mortality can be complex, right? And these are some elderly patients and and wanting to be sure to try to find something objective, you know, doesn't necessarily seem unreasonable. I was curious about funding of it too, right? When I think of something like this. So it's a, this trial was supported by a nonprofit grant from the French Ministry of Health. And then the the PCC, or actually it's uh, Canacad. I don't think I said that right, but that's the four-factor PCC that they use in, in France. And that was donated for free by the manufacturer. So um, it, it brought me a little bit more comfort knowing that it wasn't like a, you know, um that it was a non-profit kind of investigator initiated trial um and sometimes they have to think right they they want to be sure that they're not setting up these grants um you know to fail you know setting up like you said a trial where they would need you know 5000 patients to see something when logistically that just isn't all that possible for something like this um my other big takeaway from this was um, Visco Alaska testing and, um, the role of that with this trial, because I think this is probably for centers that do not have, um, Teg or Rotem routinely like available, like right, um, for the trauma patients when they get in, I think this study is, is very, very applicable to those centers because they didn't do any they didn't do any viscoelastic testing here right they gave the PCC before that is that is that correct Scott?
1: Yeah, so I mean all of the pre hospital stuff and up to the PCC was all prior to any viscoelastic testing. They mentioned that you know if they had it available they would use it and kind of try to guide things on it. They you know one of the things they mentioned was like a kind of like an R time that they mentioned for people, but you know it doesn't seem like. They were using it all that often in everybody. And, you know, one of their things that they, the authors mentioned is that most places don't have it. The guidelines in terms of cutoffs of like when and how much to use something based on a tag result isn't standardized yet. So they weren't going to yeah. focus on that. They were going to try to be more of a pragmatic situation. And that's definitely reflective of what you know we do at our newly minted level one. We, we do tags on people, but we are awful about actually looking up the results and trying to act upon any derangement derangements that we do see so i think that you know this study definitely applies to us and is generalizable to how we treat patients right now
0: i think that's a universal thing i don't think that's i, I don't think that's just you all i think that's i, I think that's something that the uh, that centers across the country um i think that's something that that all of us are thinking about and, and dealing with here um so before we get into our, yeah another thing is go like go when they're
1: designing yeah. this study they were doing it in like 2015, 2016, 2017. So at that time, you know, the use of it was very low. So, you know, we're getting results in 2023, but all the planning stuff that happened for this was well well before the study started. So, you know, at that time, there was even less info and data to support that kind of stuff. So, you know, it does come out several years later after we started, but you know, again, that's still kind of the practice that most of us are seeing. Um, You know, if you go to Denver Health, where Ernest Moore and those people are, they're doing a lot more than Most people, but I think this is, you know, applicable to pretty much 90% of people out there.
0: That is a really, really good point that they started enrolling patients in December, 2017 and the viscoelastic testing now from what it was then is on a different planet. Um, So that's a, that's a, that's a really, really good point to, to um, mention Uh, the, before we get into our kind of, our kind of final thoughts or takeaways from this. Is there? I think you had mentioned in a in a when you were on previously that there was a trial that was going to be looking at something similar to this. Is that it? Do we know? Is that still something that's going to be coming on the horizon?
1: Yeah. So there's something called the TAP study. TAP. Um, our level one was like looking into trying to be involved as in one of the study centers. I haven't heard much about it since. So I don't know if we actually got in, but this is a CSL bearing study where they're giving, I think it's like 35 units per kilo of case center, the trauma people. And their goal is to have it to be multinational. They want to have 8,000 people enrolled in this study. Um, the primary place is out of Birmingham, Alabama. They're the ones running it. But, um, you know, their kind of shtick was they want to show a one and a half percent reduction in mortality um, and their justification with that, even though it's not a huge number that, you know, if you were able to reduce traumatic hemorrhage deaths all over the country or even the world by one and a half percent, that would add up to a lot of lives saved. So, you know, this is kind of like the opposite of what you were talking about with a, you know, the funding for this ProCoA study. This is the exact opposite. And they're just going to give PCC to 8000 people and, you know, go fishing for some outcomes and hope to find a tiny little outcome and then. You know, if they show a mortality reduction, that you're pretty much going to guarantee to be getting or case to all these people now. Yep,
0: yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And I pulled up the the clinical trials page, and I wasn't able to see the dose, but I do remember I do remember um, it wasn't. It felt like uh like you said 35. It felt like it was a little different than what we've we've heard of when it was being used prior. Um, so that's probably accurate.
1: All right, so probably more yeah. to come. Yeah, they sent out they sent out some slides to us or I, you know, I got wind that we were doing this and no one had yeah. ever told any death of the pharmacists in the ER that we might be giving case to people. And so I asked for more info and I, I couldn't find the slides they sent me, but it was kind of like a, there was two doses and there was like a weight cutoff of where if you were below like 60 or 70, you got one dose and everybody above got um, another dose and it was going to be like, you know, made at bedside and these, blinded one. So even the people who are making it didn't have any idea what it was going to be. And you would just push, you know, one vial if they were lower rate or two vials or whatever it was for the higher yeah. weight group. And then, uh, but it was a little bit higher dosing than, you know, we see in this study.
0: Um. All right. So what are your, as we've kind of dug through, I think we've is there any, is there anything else you want to hit? I think we've, I think we did a really good job of hitting what we thought were talking about some of the outcomes and then talking about some of the things that stood out or some of the differences in, in management. Is there anything, is there anything we missed? No, I don't think that. So. I
1: mean, I think we hit it
0: all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what's your, as we wrap it up, what would you say is kind of your, your final message or if, if someone asked you for kind of your elevator, your elevator phrase on, on this trial, what's kind of your thoughts of it?
1: No, I mean, based on all of the outcomes, I'm not going to be empirically recommending giving PCC to any trauma patients. You know, if they're on a blood thinner at baseline, sure, we'll give them some reversal. But, you know, otherwise, just empirically giving case centra to these very ill trauma patients doesn't seem to have any benefits to them in terms of mortality or blood product reduction or anything like that. Yes, your PT ratio would maybe go down faster than if you didn't get it, but... You know, maybe if someone got SFP a lot sooner than 90 minutes, that BT ratio would be correcting faster. But, you know, there's not a lot of benefits to hang your hat on from this study to say, hey, because of this, I think we should give PCC. So, you know, for me, if they ask for it in the trauma bay, I would like to see a tag or know that there's some underlying, you know, anticoagulant on board. But otherwise, I would be recommending against it at this point, knowing that there's no benefit, high rates of thromboembolic complications and, you know, a lot
0: of cost associated with giving this. Yeah, it kind of emphasizes two things to me. A, the importance of uh, personalized medicine, right? This a bundle or giving something, giving this one intervention to everybody, I think is is becoming you know, le- less and less of a a thing that is utilized exclusively across medicine. And then the other thing, right, I think what the authors are trying to do, and they even mentioned this, was I think their thought was, and they tracked these, the the PT and the PT ratio is so I think their thought was that that was going to be higher they were going to give some PCC and get to be able to generate this thrombin burst that would really help this coagulopathy I think that was their ultimate hypothesis behind that and they even they even mention it in the discussion that it turns out that like the trauma induced coagulopathy, it's a pretty complex thing, and it it is different for different people. And there's a lot of pro and anti um, coagulants, fibrinolytic, and things happening in your body. And it's not as simple as as giving a drug. And so, um, I wish it would have worked. The people, I wish we could find a way to to. to control some of that. But yeah, based on this study, I'm completely with you. They excluded those anticoagulant patients. So I think if you're giving something for someone who's on something to control, I'm still on board with that. That seems reasonable. But um, I think we're on the same page with our um, takeaways. Um, Everyone reach out if you have thoughts. If you want to tell Scott, um, relay to us um, if you have a different opinion. Uh, he is at PCC underscore PharmD, and then of course myself at pharmacy to dose to, to dose um, Scott thanks so much for for coming on taking some time out of your out of your busy day to, to talk about a trial that I think a lot of people were um, waiting on or kind of excited to hear some of the results about
1: totally my pleasure thanks for having me
0: Thanks again to Scott. And uh, just like he said, please reach out again for those uh, at PCC underscore PharmD for Scott um, and me at Pharmacy to Dose, T O to, to dose. Uh, That would be Twitter or Instagram if you want to reach out. Uh, reach out via email, pharmacy to dose at gmail.com. And of course, the reference list with the articles, guidelines, and things we discuss and more is featured in the podcast episode description as well as at pharmacy to dose.com, our website. And until next time, I'm Nick Peters, and this is Pharmacy to Dose. The Critical Care Podcast.